You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Joy is God's invitation to rejoice with Him over the future that you have in Jesus Christ. So we go from this grandiose, huge, um, cosmic theological statement, and now we're going to get practical. It's from theory to, uh, to practicality, or as FGU says, from ideas to impact. Have you heard that? like a hundred times over as their marketing passage. Um, and we get a little hint of that. Um, to get a little hint of what I'm talking about, um, I uh, found this book title that I thought would be good for us to look at today. It's called How to Swim, The Essential Guide to Learn to Swim Like a Professional. Sounds good, right? So if you read the book, tell me what happens. You should, in theory, learn how to swim. Do you learn how to swim? Yeah, that's the... Knowing about swimming is different than knowing how to swim. And Paul doesn't want his followers in Philippi to just know about Jesus. He wants them to know Jesus. Huge difference. And he doesn't want them to just know. He wants them to dive in. He wants them to get wet. He wants them to try it out, to put it into practice. And so Paul knows he has talked grandiose. Now he's going to talk practically. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So we're going to look at this practical sermon on not how, to, um, not on learning about swimming, but how to swim with these three points. How it says, God says, work out what God has worked in. How Philippians says, work out your salvation as God has worked in you to shine like the stars, that's what the lights in the world are, and then how in the world do we do this? Because those are imperatives. How do we bring that about? So working out what God has worked in, I think that's a good way of putting it. Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who has work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, wait a minute, John. You know, that seems, what do you, work out. Work out. What, is, is Paul saying we have to work for our salvation? No, he says work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. Huge difference. Otherwise, he'd be contradicting himself where he has said elsewhere in his letters, like Ephesians, by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. See that? It's not a work. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works. 
So working out your salvation means taking the salvation that is given you and putting it into practice. And by the way, when you look at the Greek word, I know you're going to get so tired of Greek words here sometimes. But when you look at the Greek word, and I'm not even putting it up, unlike English, you can tell whether it's singular or plural. And this is a plural imperative. In other words, y'all work out together your salvation, which is a totally different idea than you individually work to do this. It's a plural imperative, meaning it's directed at us. We are to be different and to work that out. This is a communal imperative. N.T. Wright says it this way, working out your salvation isn't earning salvation, it's figuring out what this business of being saved means in practice, okay? It means don't just read about it, don't just say it, don't just know it, live it. In other words, don't read a book on swimming, jump in the pool. I know there are, it's a lot easier in the Christian life to try to keep things kind of theoretical and at a distance, you know? I have known people who've, who've learned and 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 have gone to Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, 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 and then never actually do anything with it, <laughs> okay? And I, it's like, well, I gotta know it all before. No, you don't. In fact, you can't. It's just like, I have to know everything before I jump in the water? No, you just get pushed in. You know, even like babies get thrown into the water to figure out, and they learn while they're doing it, right? Probably most of the time when you've learned the best is while you are doing something rather than sitting there and reading about it. Not to be against reading textbooks, okay? But just the idea, right? So um, it's too easy to keep it ideational, to keep it at a distance. But the Christian life was not meant for the ivory tower. It was meant for the daily grind. And this is so different, by the way, than religion in ancient Rome. It was interesting kind of thinking about the contrast of what Paul's saying here to what the Roman Empire was exhibiting. Um, most people in the ancient Rome did, were religious people, but what you did is you just went to a temple, did your little thing, and left, and it didn't change anything. So Wikipedia says it this way, Roman religion was practical and contractual based on the principle of do ut des, which is I give that you may, might give. In other words, I do this, you do this for me. Religion depended on knowledge and the correct practice of prayer, rite, and sacrifice, not on faith or dogma. I do a chant, I pour out a libation, I pay for a sacrifice, I go home, I'm done. And it's all done in order to just keep the blessings coming and to keep Rome in good favor with the gods. It has nothing to do with us, really. It doesn't change anything. And Paul is saying something totally different here when he says, work out your salvation. He's saying it's supposed to be in every aspect of your life. Religion isn't simply a thing that you do at a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit together. A chant that you say in order to get something? No, it doesn't change. You are changed by the prayers and in your relationship with others. It's not the little that you give in order to get a favor from God. 
It's that God has given, God has promised, God has done it all for you, and now all you do is respond in gratefulness to him. In other words, it's y'all work it out, kind of good Southern, for what Paul is saying in this passage. And then he goes immediately. Notice why he says, then immediately do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's how you're working it out. That's how you look different. (laughs) Grumbling and disputing, kind of two sides of different ways people handle conflict. Grumbling is when you talk to somebody else about somebody else. We call it gossip. You could call it triangulation in kind of family systems theory. You talk to somebody else about somebody else. You just whine and complain, and you don't solve anything. You actually keep it going. Or disputing. That's where you kind of come in and try to overpower the other person. Fight or flight. We tend to do one or the other in relationships. And Paul says, do neither of those. Those don't work. Now, he would say, I expect the world is working this way. They grumble or they dispute. But you, in the body of Christ, you who have been saved, you have been given the grace of God, you who have been rescued, it's totally different. He says, because God, in Philippians 2, works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So anything that's done in the Christian church is willed and worked by God himself. Any good. No in the church, not a pastor, nobody could say, look at what I've done. Because I didn't do it. God is the one who's worked and willed. If it's any good, it's God who's doing it. Look at what God is doing is what we need to keep saying. Look at what God is doing with us. Look at what God is doing through us. Look at what God is all about. The book of Acts, by the way, um, it's just such a misnomer to be called Acts of the Apostles. That's most titles in most. That's not what the book is about. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, or even better, Acts of the risen Jesus Christ now through his people. It's God who is at work. And if you read the book of Acts, they kind of bumble along and figure it out on the way. And it's the Holy Spirit who's moving them here and uh, presenting with this opportunity all, all the way along. Timothy Keller writes this, in short, God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission and the church must join him. This also means then that the church does not simply have a missions department. It would wholly exist. It should wholly exist to be a mission. That's what's going on here. Y'all are missionaries. We are missionaries together. We're on a mission, and it's not our mission. We don't choose it. It's God's mission, and he happens to be working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So why? For what? What does this look like? And that's our next point where he says, shine like stars, the next imperative. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know how a star, I know it's hard. <laughs> South Florida, we got a lot of clouds, a lot of humidity. You don't see the stars that clearly. 
um, a lot of light, you know, ambient light. But you still can see the stars shining. And those things are jillions of miles away. I know that's scientific, but you know. <laughs> They're jillions of miles away. And you could still see them. They are so distinct. Christianity, Christians are to be distinct from this culture by being people of peace, like he says, being blameless and innocent, that we're not involved in the corrupt ways of this world that are so twisted. You know how it's all about me, do it for me, what can I get out of you? It's not about selfish gain. We look different by serving and loving and giving freely to others. That's how he says shine like stars. By the way, I know I'm going to be blunt here. Our job is not to be the police of the world. Police are great, but that's not the job of the church. You are not there to tell everybody how they're violating the rules and writing traffic tickets. That is not the job of Christianity. We're not here to keep score and correct other people. In fact, when you try to do that, does it work? Do you ever change anybody by telling them what, what, why they're wrong and how terrible they are? <laughs> You know, you don't see in the book of Acts, by the way, Paul protesting when he's in Ephesus in front of the temple of Diana with giant signs telling them all that they're going to hell. And why? Because they're worshiping idols. He doesn't do any of that there. You don't get him to do the, the Christians don't per, didn't uh, protest and march around the Colosseum about the injustices that were occurring in the world, even though they were. And you might say, well, that's because they were getting killed already anyways. They could have done that. It wouldn't, but you don't see them even on, in their deaths in the early church of the first couple of centuries, where they are yelling and screaming at the people and telling them how terrible they are for doing it. That doesn't shine like stars at all. But you see Paul is going to the marketplaces, Paul going to the houses, to the synagogues, wherever he can, and sharing the love of Christ, sharing the truth of the gospel. And then the Christian church transformed society in the matter of a couple hundred years, not by trying to transform society in the first place, but by transforming the hearts and lives of individual people. And that changed everything. There's a philosopher named Aristides who lived in Athens. And during the second century, just 90-ish years after the birth of the Christian church in the book of Acts, he writes to um, Caesar Hadrianus, Hadrian, the, uh, the, the Roman emperor at the time who was persecuting the church and continually thinking about that. And what Aristides says is, here, I want you to see Here's a defense of who the Christians are, and you're misunderstanding them. So he wrote this to the emperor. They love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is any among them that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. He was not a Christian when he was writing this. And yet he could see this is a new people. There's something divine in the midst of them. That's how you shine like stars.
That's how we are to shine like stars. Wouldn't it be great for people to look at us and the way that we love one another, serve one another, and serve the community in such a way they go like, wow, that's a new way of doing things. There's something divine, something divine going about this. Yeah, God is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You got it. Matt Chandler, um, a Christian pastor, comments on all this, that this is the collective witness of the church, and this is what Paul is getting at. And he writes, in boldly, it, it, this witness, boldly contradicts the predominant culture's message that we should think of ourselves first and the community we belong to second. God calls his church to be a counterculture embedded within the prominent one so that the world can see Christ in our midst. And through our collective witness, his glory spreads over all the earth. Now you go, man, but over my lifetime, I've seen Christian, uh, Christians in, this, um, in our culture have diminished influence. Okay, but why is that? And I have a feeling it's because Christians are not distinct in the way that they live from the rest of the world. That we are not loving each other, not serving each other, not sacrificing. And so we don't look any different. In fact, it's hard. if you don't look different than the world, how are you going to influence them? Do you get it? So I think it's a call for the Christian church right now to be renewed in the United States. We need to be renewed because they need to look at us and go like, wow, that's different. That's a new humanity. That's a new way of being. There's something divine going on there. You might go like, now, how do we do that? Because not so much how do we do that in terms of Okay, step one, step two, step three, but how, how am I empowered? How can I ever do that? That's the point of our third point. And Paul, I think, lays it out here again with this phrase, holding fast to the word of life. You might look at that and go like, oh, okay. No, it's not about information here. What is the word that gives life? That's the question. Or maybe who is the word that gives life? Because Jesus is the word of God in the flesh who gives life. And what that life is is called the good news or the gospel. Like I said before, if you think telling people that they need to change will change them, well, good luck. I've never found that to work. Usually what it does is produce just the opposite, more resistance, more in your face. You don't change people by willpower. You don't even change by willpower. I think St. Augustine was right when he saw that human beings are not rational creatures. We are desiring creatures. It's what we desire, what we love that motivates us. And when we are loved deeply, when we receive that good news of God's love deeply, that's what will make the change. Timothy Keller writes, we see people try to change through moralistic behaviorism. They find themselves repeatedly lapsing into sin. But the gospel of God's grace doesn't try to bend a heart into a new pattern. It melts it and reforms it into a new shape. 
The gospel can produce a new joy, love, and gratitude. New inclinations of the heart that eat away at deadly self-regard and self-concentration. What's going to make us different from the world is not the fact that you've got a stronger willpower than those people out there, or you are smarter than they are, or you're better at anything than they are. We're just like everybody else. The difference is the fact that you have received the grace of God in such a way that you recognize what it, who he is and how amazing that is and how, un, um, how undeserved it all is, how I don't how surprising God's love for you is. Like the whole passage of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where shockingly, God, Jesus, who is fully God, does not make that in his entitlement and, and force people to do anything, but instead he willingly pours everything out, empties himself of anything and everything, to love you, to have you, to redeem you, that you are his. And it was not an easy thing at all. It was the hardest thing in the world, and he does this in awful agony. It wasn't, you know, people have always said things, I think, kind of, you know, hypoth well, couldn't God just snap his fingers? Apparently not snap his fingers to forgive you. He doesn't want to just like wipe your slate clean. He wants a relationship with you. And the only way he can do that is to love you so fully that you are overwhelmed by his love so that you respond to his love. And the more that you apprehend that grace, that's what changes us all. That's what will turn us into a community of joy and a community of love that looks distinct from this world. Simon Zoll wrote this, what broken and sinful people need is not strength or power, but love. You know, when you're broken, and we're all kind of broken and damaged in different ways, you don't need to be told, you don't need to be lectured. You need to be loved. You need to be healed. He goes on, and the way you get love is through experiencing that you yourself are loved. To encounter divine grace is to be treated in a particular sort of way by God, to be accepted, loved, forgiven, and adopted as a child of God. That's the gospel. And the gospel is not the ABCs, just the foundation. It's the A through Zs. It's the whole thing. You never get away from it. It's not like, OK, now you know the gospel. Now here are a bunch of rules to follow. That's bogus. Then you haven't understood the gospel. The gospel is everything. It's the only thing that motivates me, motivates you, changes me. And Jesus Christ did it all. And that's what brings joy the free responsiveness, the openness, the willingness to respond for Jesus' sake. So joy sees opportunities abound, open doors to invite others to be community, to be distinct from the world so that that's how we're going to shine like the stars. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we do want to see a change in this world. But Lord, I think you want to start with us. 
We pray for your people right now in the United States and around the world that we love one another so much and we love in response to your love for us so that the world may see us distinct, not because of any goodness in us, but because you are at work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. You are on mission, Lord God. You are the one who saves and you are the one who redeems and you are the one who gets all the glory. We thank you for those things, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would bring to any heart right now who, that is broken, anyone who is struggling, anyone, Lord, who has wondered about their own love, lovableness, Lord, whether they feel worthy or unworthy, whether, whatever has been or is, Lord, that, Lord, you just bring to them your love right now. You are presenting yourself to each heart right here, right now, Lord, and offering everything that you are for us because the thing that you want most of all, Lord, is just us, nothing else. We're amazed at that, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would be working that in our hearts and lives today. And we ask, O oh Lord, that we would become a community of joy in such a way that others would see the contagion and want to join in, that they would, like Aristides, say something, <laughs> they're a new kind of way and there's something divine going on in our relationships with each other, Lord God. We think now across this world, Lord, about the many tragedies and difficulties from Maui to Morocco and everything in between from Ukraine, Lord, to just the brokenness in our society with such a high level of violence right now. And we pray your healing and that we'd be a community that shares the healing that we have received, that by your wounds we are healed with this world, Lord God. To you, deserve, we give all the greatest glory, for you are a good and gracious King. Bless the time that we uh, now come in uh, as we give of our tithes and offerings for your kingdom's sake, Lord. It's really no sacrifice compared to yours. It's only a little bit of what you've given us, but we give you the glory that we can even give and serve. And prepare us, Lord, to receive today um, the gift that you give with the bread and the wine, Lord, this day, that you give yourself in such a profound way. So bless us, Lord, as you, we prepare for the Lord's Supper for we don't come as people who are worthy, but knowing our own sinfulness, Lord. We'd only be deceiving ourselves if we say that we are without sin. But instead, we confess our sins to you right now. Because you are faithful and just, O oh God. And you will forgive our sins for Jesus' sake and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.